Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In the readings for this weekend, we see the beginning of two prophetic careers, Jeremiah and Jesus. Jeremiah tells us in the first reading how the Lord came to him and called him to be the next prophet. As it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I dedicated you, a prophet to all the nations. God knows Jeremiah intimately, and he knows all of us intimately. Before we were even created, God knew us and loved us. Better yet, he knew all of us for all of eternity. Even before he created this universe and established space and time, God knew each and every one of us and loved us into existence. Now, upon hearing that God has called him to be a prophet, immediately Jeremiah makes excuses. He says, well, I'm too young. You know, people won't listen to me. Well, scholars believe that Jeremiah right now is approximately 14, 15 years old. Now, remember, the ancient world was a patriarchal society. Older males were looked upon as leaders and wise men. Jeremiah is simply telling God, because he is so young, no one's going to listen to him, and no one's going to even take him seriously. But God tells Jeremiah, no, you are the one. You're the one I want. In fact, he tells Jeremiah what his career will be like. He says, For it is I, this day, who have made you the fortified city, a pillar of iron. They will fight against you and not prevail over you, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. The first thing that we can take from this, God is always with us. And with his presence in our life, he gives us the strength to overcome any challenge that we face in our life. Second thing that we can take from this, God always gives us gifts, skills and abilities, charisms, in order to carry out his will. And that's what he does for Jeremiah in the first reading. He does that for all of us. Now, what's important to understand is Jeremiah is being sent by God to be a prophet for all the world, not just the Israelites. And so this is a precedent that God is setting. Now that sets the perfect setting for the gospel for this weekend. We pick up on the story. Jesus, after having conquered the devil in the desert, he gradually makes his way home to Nazareth. And being a good Jew on the Sabbath, he, like all the others, go to the synagogue to pray. And he takes the sacred scriptures, and he chooses a specific one. Now, what I find so interesting is, at all of our Masses, whether they're weekend Masses or daily Masses, our Masses and the readings are always assigned. We don't have a choice in the readings. 
and the readings are determined by the Office of Divine Worship in the Vatican in Rome. But in Jesus' day, you could choose any passage that you wanted to read from. Well, Jesus chooses a passage from Isaiah. Now, granted, we don't hear about it in the Gospel for this weekend, but the passage from Isaiah is dealing with how the world will come to know the long-awaited Messiah has come. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the mute will speak. Any good and devout Jew knows this passage very well because it points out the Messiah. Well, now Jesus declares that this prophecy is now fulfilled precisely in him. As he says to the people in the synagogue, Today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you're standing next to Jesus and you're in that synagogue, this was breathtaking for you. The Israelites knew this passage very well. They knew exactly what it meant. Now, in the past, they were accustomed to hearing this passage as a dream or a hope one day that would come. But to hear it from Jesus, who is standing in the synagogue with you, when he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, this would be overwhelming for you if you were a Jew. Now, the people in the synagogue, it says, their first response upon hearing this was very positive. They all spoke highly of him, it says. Then we find out why. They're so positively amazed by Jesus. It says they asked, isn't this the son of Joseph? Well, what were they really thinking? If Jesus is the Messiah and he's a local boy, well, then we will all benefit by that. As Jesus rises in power and wealth, so will the entire town. The logic here is one in which if Jesus is the Messiah and he's from our town, then that's good for all of us because Jesus will take care of us because everyone in the town is a neighbor, a friend, or a relative of Jesus. Therefore, as he rises up to power, he will bring that power to us in this town. Well, Jesus senses this immediately. That's why he says, Surely you will quote me the proverb, Physician, cure thee yourself. So what's really going on here? Well, there's a buzz going around right now surrounding Jesus. Now, prior to this gospel story, Jesus has been preaching and teaching and performing miracles. He's doing some amazing things. Now he's back at home, and he publicly proclaims to be the Messiah. Well, now the townspeople are expecting to benefit by Jesus' rise in power, since he is a local boy. Jesus will take care of his own town people, his own friends. You know, it reminds me of the old saying, all politics is local. I'll give you a good analogy. Say you elect someone in your district to go to Congress. Well, that person goes to Congress and rises up to a very prominent position in the government. Say the House and Means Committee. He's the chairman of that. Well, eventually, or after a while, he'll start sending pork projects back to your districts. He'll start awarding grants and federal contracts to local businesses. And all the people in your locale will benefit. You'll all get rich and powerful. And as a favor to this elected official, you keep electing him you know, each year to that same position. And in doing so, he keeps bringing back those government projects and grants and money. 
And so the cycle just naturally continues. Well, that's what's going on right now. That's the mindset of the people in this synagogue. It's precisely what the people are thinking. So Jesus knows this immediately. That's why he responds to these, you could say, two little-known stories in the Old Testament. The first one is regarding the prophet Elijah. During a time of drought, God sent Elijah not to help the Israelites, but instead to help a foreign country. In fact, a widow in that foreign country. Despite the fact that Elijah was a great prophet for the Israelites, chosen by God, and the fact that the Israelites, too, were experiencing a severe drought, Elijah was sent not to help the Israelites, but he was sent by God to help a foreign country and their people. Next, Jesus tells another little-known Old Testament story. This deals with Elisha, the prophet. Jesus says, There were many lepers in Israel, but not one of them was healed, except Naaman, the foreigner. Well, during Elisha's time as a prophet, Naaman was a great general. In fact, he was the general of a rival nation, Syria. Well, he contracted leprosy, and he found out that Elisha, the prophet of Israel, was the only one that could cure him. So he made his way into Israel and begged Elisha to help him, and Elisha cured him. But again, the message is still the same. During times of great need, famine and leprosy, God attended to the needs of other nations rather than Israel. See, Jesus is reminding the people in the synagogue that Israel exists not for its own sake or for its own benefit, but for the sake of the world. And see, that's what we see in the first reading from Jeremiah. He's called to be a prophet for all nations. Israel is not meant to bask in the glory of being God's chosen people and then lording it over the rest of the world because they're not. Instead, just the opposite. Israel is meant to be a means by which God gathers the world. Israel is meant to be a magnet for the incent to all the nations. Israel is meant, you could say, to be the vehicle of God's grace in this world. And so too are we. Now, notice the people's response when they hear this. It said, when the people in the synagogue heard this, they were filled with fury. They rose up, drove Jesus out of the town, led him to the brow of a hill on which the town had been built to hurl him down. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a very angry mob. Just a few minutes ago, they were speaking very highly of Jesus as a friend. And now they're so angry, they want to kill him. Why is that? Because Jesus won't give them what they want, their own personal Messiah, in which they will benefit from. See, God doesn't work that way, nor does our faith. Now you say to yourself, okay, I understand this whole story, but how does it pertain to us in the 21st century? Well, I would argue an awful lot. See, we can easily fall into that same trap of those Israelites in the synagogue. Expecting God to benefit us all the time, expecting God's grace will simply smile upon us all the time and always give us good health and good success and a good job and a good family. We say to God, you know, I'm baptized and I come to Mass every week and I follow the Lord's commandments. I should get something good out of this. Well, God doesn't operate that way. 
nor does our faith exist in that attitude. Instead, the purpose of our faith is to be precisely the role of Israel, to be a conduit of God's grace in this world, so that God's grace flows in us, but also through us, and touches other people in this world, especially those people that need God's grace the most. See, God wants to use us, just like he used Jeremiah and the Israelites, to be a vehicle of God's grace in this world, and to see the joy in it. What's the key for us? To learn to cooperate with God's grace. See, we receive God's grace every time we pray, every time we receive the Eucharist, every time we engage stewardship in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Now, sometimes God blesses us directly. And when that happens, we rejoice in that flow of grace that has touched us. But sometimes God blesses others with success. Therefore, we shouldn't fall into that trap of resentment when we see that. We say to ourselves, well, how come you know that person lives in a bigger house than I do? How come that person has better health than I do? Or maybe a better things than I do? Well, our faith doesn't operate that way, nor does God. Well, in either case, you know, we should find joy in God's grace when it touches our life or in the lives of others. You see, God's grace draws all of us to him. And that's exactly what God wanted from the very beginning of time and space. And see, that's what he saw in each and every one of us before we even were born or created. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.